Jensen, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode number 80, the Chronology Protection Case. You're going to hear the complete original audio play or radio play of the Chronology Protection Case recorded at the Museum of Television and Radio back in the fall of 2002. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. The Chronology Protection Case was my first Phil D'Amato story. It's a novelette. It was published in Analog Magazine way back in 1995. In fact, it was the second story that I had published in Analog. And it seems to have struck a chord. It was nominated for the Nebula Award. It has been reprinted in half a dozen places. It's received a lot of good attention, and its hero, Dr. Phil D'Amato, went on to appear in two other novelettes I had published in Analog, and in three of my novels, including The Silk Code, which won the Locus Award for Best First Novel back in 1999. In early 2002, Jay Kensinger made a 38-minute movie of the chronology protection case. A few months after that, Mark Shanahan wrote a radio play with my and Jay's help of the chronology protection case. That was performed, as I said, to a live audience at the Museum of Television and Radio in Manhattan in the fall of 2002. And this radio play was nominated for an Edgar Award for the best radio play of 2002 by the Mystery Writers of America. Later, Mark went into the studio and recorded a studio version of the Chronology Protection Case, which sounds great. You can get it for sale at audible.com, and it's available all over the web. But what I thought I would do is make available to you the original live performance of the radio play, in Museum of Television and Radio. This has been kicking around on the web also for a couple of years, but I figured it was time to give it a permanent home here on Light On, Light Through. Now, you can find in the show notes links to the novelette, which is on FictionWise, a link to the movie. All of that is on lightonlightthrough.com. That's L-I-G-H-T-O-N, L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com. But here, without any further introduction, is the complete recording of the original live performance from back in the fall of 2002 of the Chronology Protection Case. Good evening, and welcome to Stage Shadows, radio like you've never seen it. And welcome to the 6th Annual Radio Festival presented by the Museum of Television and Radio in Midtown Manhattan. I am your host, Joel Farrell. Tonight, Stage Shadows presents another audio premiere in our series of contemporary radio plays recorded live in front of a studio audience in the museum's Mark Goodson Theater. This evening, Stage Shadows brings you into a surreal world of quantum physicists and powers beyond control. Based on a story by Paul Levinson, radio adaptation by Mark Shanahan with Paul Levinson and Jay Kensinger. Directed by Elisa Martin. Now, the chronology protection case. (laughs) 
Reasons. Everybody wants reasons in this irrational society. Science in the laboratory deals with reason. In the outside world, you're lucky if you can find such a thing. Guarantees of anything are beyond us, and the best we can hope for are probabilities. But if you come across something you know to be true, one thing is certain. You can never go back to not knowing, and that can be a problem. For instance, my department demands nice, tidy answers for nice, tidy murders. But unfortunately, life in forensics is never quite so easy. I was working on a case the prosecution loved, but I didn't. So I asked my friend Ed Monty, the chief medical examiner, to stop by my office. Is this real, Phil? Oh, Ed, for crying out loud, you see what I'm saying? Just, I mean, look at the evidence. It doesn't match your suspect. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. You're saying this was planted on the guy? No, I'm not saying that, but based on the amount of blood, the fact that there weren't any cuts or lacerations on the guy's body, I mean, how could I in All right, conscience? all right. So basically what you're saying is if you have to testify, you don't think you'll be able to support the prosecution. Just a question, Phil. Are you trying to make enemies? Yeah, well, at least I can sleep at night. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Say something I don't believe in? How can I possibly do that? Man, D'Amato, you like to do things the hard way. Listen. If anyone asks, I'll back you up. Phil, line three. A woman who says she needs to talk to you. She's some kind of physicist. A physicist? Okay, put her through, Maisie. All right, beat it, Ed. You must have some autopsies to do. A physicist? Man, you get all the interesting ladies. <laughs> me, I get to spend the day with dead bodies. And Ed, thanks for backing me up here. No problem. You keeping a lady waiting. Hello, NYPD Forensics. This is Phil D'Amato. Is this Detective Phil D'Amato? Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Who am I speaking with? This is the Phil D'Amato I saw on television last week, correct? On a cable talk show about the county crime scene unit? Uh, actually, uh, yeah, that was me. I'm sure I came across like a zombie on, program, on that. On the but... you said you had a passion for physics. Well, forensic science is my profession, but cutting-edge physics is my love. Um, I'm sorry, I don't think I got your name. My name is Lauren. Lauren Goldring. Do you know my work? Goldring, Goldring, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, he wrote an article in Scientific American about some Hubble data. Very good. I'm calling you about my husband. Uh, He's disappeared. Geez, Lauren, I, I'm sorry. You must want missing persons. Uh, let me transfer <laughs> you to... Dr. D'Amato, I need your help. It's been two days since he last returned Again, home. Again, Lauren, it's not my department. We're forensics. We deal with dead people, not missing people. I mean, I'm sure your husband is... My uh... husband is a brilliant man, Dr. D'Amato. I'm quite sure that his disappearance has something to do with his work. He's a physicist, too. Please, will you meet with me? <laughs> I was in my car 40 minutes later on my way to her house when I should have been at home with a pizza and the cat. No contest. A physicist in distress always wins. It wasn't just that I had read her work. I mean, I knew she was brilliant, there was no doubt. But there was something in her voice. I knew I wanted to see her. I drove up to an ornate Victorian-style house. It had an elegant beauty, as did Lauren. Dr. D'Amato? Uh, please, call me Phil. It's a pleasure to actually... Thank you for coming. Uh, if you'll excuse me a moment, I'm fixing myself a vodka tonic. Uh, would you like a drink? No, thanks. I'm still on duty, and uh, looks like you have a head start on me anyway. Well, Dr. D'Amato... Phil, Phil. Phil, let's get something out of the way right up front. I know the usual expectations in these situations. He was with another woman, or we've been fighting. If only that were the case. All right, well, Lauren, you have my attention. I'm willing to start with the assumption that your case is different. Uh, you want to tell me how? My husband 
Ian is also a physicist. Yeah, I know. I, I looked him up. But uh, you two don't do the same work. Ian Goldring is a leading expert in quantum mechanics and research into tiny particles. But I believe your area is astrophysics. Uh, black holes, Big Bang Theory, stuff like that. You're very thorough and absolutely correct. Ian has been working on a study concerning what is called quantum signaling. He's been leading a team in some groundbreaking research. Now, we've always told each other everything about our work. You see, we have that kind of relationship. But then, then a few months ago, he... Oh, oh damn, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Hey, 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 it's just a broken glass. Here, <laughs> let me get you a towel. Well, uh, you may have noticed that's not the first drink that's been spilled on this shirt. It's, look, everything's okay. No! No, everything is definitely not okay. Phil, a few months ago, Ian suddenly got very silent. Something, something had frightened him. Something to do with the project he was working on. And uh, you think some harm's come to him? Was uh, he exposed to dangerous radiation? No, no. Nothing at all like that. Yeah, well, well, then what exactly? I mean, was he in danger from the tiny particles or the research team? I think there was something he wanted to shield me from. All right, well, suppose you tell me all you know about Ian's work and why it could be dangerous. Do you know anything about quantum fluctuations of electromagnetic fields? <laughs> well, uh, truthfully, what I fully grasp about quantum mechanics, I could write on a postcard to my sister in Boston. <laughs> well, here's your primer. Basically, you have two tiny particles that collide and then travel at sublight speeds in opposite directions. Now, there is a theory that no matter how far apart those particles are, if you observe one, you affect the other. You see, the two particles, having once collided, might now exist forever after in some kind of mysterious relationship. A bond so potent that just to measure one is to influence the other, even if the other particle happens to be on, I don't know, say Pluto. Yeah, <laughs> Pluto? So you could send a signal to one particle, and the other particle would get it instantaneously. Yeah, this sounds more like mind over matter than hard science, doesn't it? I mean, I've heard a lot Well, of... Ian was part of a small group of scientists at Columbia who were trying to demonstrate that this was evidence of faster-than-light travel. Faster-than-light? I mean, doesn't that contradict Einstein's theory? Theory of relativity? Not necessarily. There are loopholes in Einstein's work. Ian had even believed that Einstein must have understood the contradictions in his own work, but for some reason he chose never to pursue the matter. These loopholes are a source of great disagreement among the small group Ian was working with. So are, are you saying that uh, some crazy, envious scientist was after him? No, no. It's much deeper than that. They were working on a device. A device that could send messages through these particles. That's what quantum signaling is. And that was the last I heard about it before he didn't come home. Well, well may maybe this device did something to no, him. No, I don't right? know. I don't know. But something definitely scared him. And I have never seen him like that before. If you only knew him, you would see what I... All right, I'm... look, here, here's what we'll do. Um, I'm going to call in Ian's disappearance to a friend in the department. He's a, a precinct captain, and he'll take this seriously. He'll contact all the airports, get Ian's picture out to the cops on the oh, beach, please, and... please, that's not... Oh, clearly, I've called the wrong person. Look, I know you have a gut feeling that something deeper is going on, and hey, maybe you're right, but look, we have to cover all the bases. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Let me walk you to the door. You don't have to apologize. It's just... Ian is a very stubborn and proud man. But these past weeks, something really profound affected him. Okay, I'll be back tomorrow. And, uh, Lauren, stay positive and try to get some sleep, okay? Just, well, sometimes things aren't always what they seem to be. Perhaps I did call the right person. She squeezed my hand. 
I didn't feel like letting go, but I did. The news the next morning was terrible. Ed Monty called me down to the coroner's office to take a look at a body. Like he was opening a filing cabinet, he casually grabbed a handle on the wall and pulled out a long table with a body on it, covered by a sheet. I never liked this room. Behind every handle was a story you didn't want to hear. This the guy you were looking for? Uh, Goldring? Yeah, that's him all right. Mm. Ian Goldring. Matches the pictures I have here. He looks taller in person. Three bullets from a cheap punk's gun. One shattered the heart, did all the damage. No sign of radiation, no strange chemistry in the body. Why would you even ask about that, anyway? Uh, it's just a theory I was working on. I met the wife last night. I, well, I think I ought to tell her myself. She already knows. What? She came down to identify the body two hours ago. She's outside in the lounge waiting for you. Phil, I was looking for you. They said no, that... No, no, Lauren, Lauren, I'm so sorry this He's was entirely... Ian's dead. Lauren, he was found early this morning near the university. They think they picked up the two kids who did it. It was just a, it's a totally random shooting. No, no, it wasn't random. It was not random. Lauren, Lauren, I, I saw the body myself. There's nothing unusual. But I mean, we could look further into these kids' backgrounds. The and... kids who shot him? They don't matter. The way that Ian was killed is irrelevant. It's the fact that he was killed that counts. The real reason he was killed... All right, sit down. Let me get oh, to yes, that. Yes, yes, I know. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that's not why he died. Phil, there are some things I want to tell you, but I'm not quite sure I understand all of this yet. All right, look, I'll have a car take you home and a no, medic Phil, come over and give you a sedative. Oh, I, please. I, I really think I'm close to figuring this out. Now, I spoke with one of the other members in Ian's group, and I wasn't wrong. I, I have to... I'm going to make a few more calls. I don't know... Oh, maybe I'm dragging you too far into this. Maybe we shouldn't talk any more about this. Hey, hey, listen, that's nonsense. Come on, you've had a terrible loss. Uh, let me just come by later and we'll talk more, okay? Um, hey, uh, hey, Jenny? Yes, Phil? Uh, Lauren, this is uh, Lieutenant Jenny Murphy. She's a good friend. Now, I'm going to have her drive you home, and I'll come by later with some food. You like Chinese? I mean, you have to eat, right? Thank you. Nine hours later, I made my way back to Lawrence. I knew even before I drove up, something was wrong. I guess my eyes, after all these years of looking around crime scenes, are especially sensitive to the weak flicker of police lights in the evening sky at a distance. The flicker still turns my stomach. Hey, 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 what, what's going on here, officer? Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to get back in your it's car. It's okay, McQuail, hey. it's not a badge. It's Phil D'Amato from Forensic. Oh. Jenny, Jenny, what's happening here? Phil, it's crazy. The doctor says it's less than one in 10,000, some rare allergy to the sedative. It somehow brings out an asthma attack hours later. 50% fatality. Ah, oh, damn it, damn it! I know you asked me to keep an eye on her, but... Well, they ought to take that sedative off the market. Lousy drug companies are too greedy. No, no, no. It's okay, Jenny. It's, it's not your fault, but I, I don't believe this. Yeah, hell of a coincidence. A physicist and his wife, also a physicist, both dying. Yeah, maybe it's not a coincidence. What do you mean? Is Lauren, uh, is the body still here? I'd like to have a look at her. I can't say Lauren looked at peace and death. I could almost still see her lips quivering, straining to tell me something, though they were sealed as the night. She still looked beautiful. 
I was the one who had ordered her sedative, and even though I knew logically I wasn't responsible for her dying, I felt guilty. The truth is, I hadn't done much for her when she was alive. I was determined to do more for her now. Good morning, New York Sun Tribune. Um, Jack Donovan in the Science and Research Department, please. Hello, this is Jack Donovan. Hey, so Jack, you want a Pulitzer yet? What? <laughs> well, well, well. Phil D'Amato. Yeah, one of the good ones. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Oh, very well, my friend. I'm writing an article about neutrino-induced nucleosynthesis and supernova explosions. Little light bathroom reading? Only for people like us. <laughs> now, um, to what do I owe this phone call? Yeah, well, uh, we got about ten minutes. Uh, I need info on quantum signaling, and, geez, I, I didn't know how else to ask. With particle-antiparticle pairs? Yeah, yeah, okay. About two days ago, I get a, a call from a physicist named Lauren Goldring. Indeed. The Hubble telescope lady. Yeah. Astrophysicist? <laughs> Extremely underrated scientist. Oh, Jack, Jack, old buddy, I knew I was calling the right person. I told him my story about the gold rings, about what little I knew about quantum signaling, about what I'd heard from the websites on the night before, and I even thought of trying to contact Stephen Hawking. Uh, he was where? Uh, California, Cambridge, England? Yeah, so if I could even get through. But Jack had connections in the field, and he was my best bet. He was a reporter for the science section of a major newspaper, and me, I, I was just a cop in a crime lab. Scientists love publicity, and everybody loved Jack. Strange lady dying like that. Hey, why don't you come over around five? I, I'm in the Hempstead office. I'll, I'll, I'll do some checking for you. Uh, yeah, I'm here to see Good, Jack yeah, Donovan. I, I'm down here at my desk. I, uh, step over here, will you? Hey, 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 Jack, Jack, what's going on? Interesting, that's what I was going to ask you. Hey, if it isn't Phil D'Amato. I hear you giving my science guy his story leads on some kind of quantum stuff, huh? You think it'll sell papers? Yeah, Phil, you've met my editor, Sam Abramson. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, I took a look at this myself. You know what I think? Maybe they all picked up a virus or something at a conference they attended. Something that would throw off their sense of balance and cause their heart rate to speed up. What do you think? That would explain the two accidents and the heart attack. Uh, I don't know about the sedative death and the murder is a bit of a stretch. Anyway, Donovan, you have a staff meeting in five minutes. Don't be late this time. See you tomorrow. Yeah. Um, uh, hey, what was he going on about, Jack? Uh, what accidents? Phil, um, we need to go someplace we can talk. Yeah, let's, let's go down to the garage. The garage? We went down in complete silence. Jack was usually very talkative. What exactly are you in on, Phil? I did a good deal of checking. There were six people working actively in conjunction with Ian Goldring on this research. Outside of that, the project was sealed up extremely tightly. Yeah, well, by whom? The government? By the researchers themselves. But that's not even the half of it. Four of the seven, that includes Ian Goldring, are now dead. What? What do you mean? The one dead? had a heart attack <laughs> right after her doctor gave her a clean bill of health. Another fell off his roof while cleaning out his gutters, severed his carotid arteries on a sharp piece of flagstone, and he bled to death before anyone could find him. Another was struck by a car. <laughs> DOA. And then, well, then there's Ian. Oh, Phil. Phil, I think we have a story here, my friend. No, 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 wait a minute. We don't even have any idea what kind of story this is. Well, it's a standout I... situation. Four of the seven dying like that? And Goldring's wife, she's the only one outside of the group that had any idea what they were doing. You said she talked to you. Did she tell you anything? Yeah, well, she wasn't sure, but I, don't, I think she figured it out just before she died. She never had the chance to fully explain what she thought had happened to Ian. Now, did you find anything more about the project from the scientists who were still alive? Well, there you go. I attempted to contact Hayes and Strauss, and they refused to talk to me. Yeah, well, their assistants tell me that 
They were aware of the other scientists' deaths, that they had decided not to do any more work on the project, had no plans to publish what they had done, didn't want to talk to me about it or hear from me again, and that I should please buzz off. <laughs> yeah, it seems they're now working on two entirely different projects. Yeah, well, uh, that doesn't sound like the usually publicity-hungry behavior of research scientists. Not the ones I know. <laughs> They'd hang on to a project like this for decades, like a dog worrying a bone. Yet, strangest of all, someone very specifically erased all the internet postings on the Columbia University physics news groups that related to this. Okay, so... Someone is behind all of this. Perhaps, um, not someone, but something. I don't, I don't follow you, Jack. You gotta spell this one out for me. Okay, okay. Goldring's wife. Yeah, her name she, was Lauren. Um, yeah, Lauren. She said that they were working on quantum signaling, right? Alpha and beta particles which collide and travel in opposite directions. Now, say one particle in the pair, perhaps, you know, the beta particle, is very far away. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, like on Pluto? Pluto. Um, yeah, okay. And the alpha particle here sends a signal to that beta particle. That signal will affect the beta particle. Conversely, anything that happens to the beta particle would also affect the alpha particle. Now, what do you mean by signaling it, Jack? What, what things would affect the particles? Well, you know, cosmic rays, gamma rays... Radio waves, microwaves? Yeah, indeed, anything. Okay, so if the Yankees were playing the Red Sox, and, and that game were broadcast near our alpha particle here, people on Pluto could hear it from the beta particle there? <laughs> Instantaneously. Faster than light speed. Baseball on Pluto. <laughs> well, I don't understand. I mean, you're saying that information being sent faster oh, than... No, 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 my friend. It's much bigger than that. Keep in mind, we're dealing with quantum fluctuations, where space and time are just different dimensions. So the particles aren't limited to travel in space. Wait. You mean through time? Like into the past? Or, uh, or the future. So, they send signals from the alpha particle, and if the beta particle is in the past... Someone in that past can get a message? It goes both ways. You mean you could get a message from the future? Exactly. So, what, so they, they got some message that there was going to be uh, a... No, 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 that, that's not what happened. It, it's something else. It, say you received a message from the future that a, a certain plane on a certain airline crashed at a certain time. What would you do? Try and stop it, yeah? Well, yeah, I guess I would. Ah, so, you've stopped the crash, and now a few hundred people who were supposed to have died are alive. And they will all live their lives, have children, affect other lives and events. You, you have basically changed the future. <laughs> okay, I, I feel pretty good about that, but I mean, if there was no plane crash... There should be no motive for anyone to broadcast a message that there was a plane crash. But then, of course, if you didn't get the message, it wouldn't stop the crash. It's a paradox. And if these paradoxes began to happen increasingly, it, it would start to unravel the whole cause-effect nature of the universe. So that's what the scientists had done? They created a paradox? Yeah, well, Stephen Hawking argues that if anyone did try to send message through time, a causality loop would create a huge energy disturbance and that would nullify such a connection. He called it the chronology protection conjecture. It's supposed that that is how the universe protects itself from a paradox. <laughs> the universe? Well, you know, perhaps the universe can be considered as one huge organism. And this organism, like all other organisms, like you, like me, would have a tendency to act on behalf of its own survival to prevent its own dissolution via time travel. Oh, well, Jack, I mean, isn't coincidence still the best answer to this mess? I mean, I don't really believe in coincidence. Well, but... three of the research scientists are still alive, as far as I know. Perhaps if something happens to them, we'll be, you know, a bit more... Uh... Yeah, well, look, I know about uh, Hayes and Strauss, but what about this third physicist? Julie Fenwick? Yeah, where is she now? Well, she lives here in New York, but right now she's in a small plane somewhere in the Australian outback. Yeah, I couldn't reach her at all. Mm, yeah. Call me the moment the plane crashes. Oh, yeah, 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 well. Do me a favor. Hold off on any story about this, okay? Hold off? 
This could be my Pulitzer, Phil. There's certainly something more going on here, but I agree we need more information. Someone to go on record. The drive back to Westchester was harrowing. A storm had suddenly broken loose. Two cars nearly sideswiped me, and one big-ass truck stopped so suddenly in front of me that I almost crashed into it and became an instant Long Island Expressway pancake. I thought over what Jack had said. Okay, so you got a message from the future that a certain plane on a certain airline crashed at a certain time. What would you do? Jeez, 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 hey! Okay, okay, the quantum signaling. All right, let's say that, I don't know, everything Jack said was true. Now, Stephen Hawking says that even if signaling across time were technically possible, there would be quantum energy disturbances that would destroy this. It's supposed that that's how the universe protects itself from a paradox. And if not, uh, you could send paradoxical information into the past, like uh, tell your grandfather not to have kids, and then you're never born, so how could you have told him? And <laughs> Man, it's enough to make your head spin. But what was it that Lauren had said? I don't think the way that Ian was killed was relevant. It's the fact that he was killed that counts. Hey, hey, all right, all right. What if someone were able to find a way around the energy disturbance? I mean, what does the universe do then? Hey, hey, maybe that's what happened to Hawking. Einstein must have understood the contradictions in his own work. But for some reason, he chose never to pursue the matter. What happens if a group of scientists reach critical mass and... Damn. Hey, well, maybe the universe behaves more drastically. It, it murders and... Well, no, that might explain the scientist's death, but why did Lauren have to die? I think I've got part of this figured out. Maybe the protection went beyond just those who create dangerous situations. Maybe it, it extended to people who figured out what was going on. But what was the moment, the, the moment when, when you become the threat and the universe has to protect itself in some... Hey, hey, watch out! Hey, oh, holy! Dr. D'Amato? Phil, perhaps the universe can be considered as one huge organism, Jack. Just a question, Phil. Are you trying to make enemies? Is this Phil D'Amato? Tendencies to act on behalf of its own survival. This is the Phil D'Amato I saw on television last Three week. Three bullets, no sign of radiation, no strange chemistry in the body. Phil, Why it's would crazy. You even ask the doctor about says that's the one... The moment that you become the threat... Einstein must have understood the contradictions in No one else had any idea, except now there's you. Phil, is this for real? A bond so potent that just to measure one... Look, I don't believe in coincidence. We got one for the emergency. For the seven scientists. Phil, is this for real? Dr. D'Amato? Dr. D'Amato, glad to see you're awake. <sighs> well, uh, I'm awake? Yeah, what's my situation? How long have I been here, uh, Nurse? Nurse Johnson, please, don't try to sit up like that. You've been here a day and a half. They fished you out of Long Island Sound. You were suffering from shock. Uh, they collected some of your belongings. Oh, 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 my leg. Please, lie down. And now that you are awake, you can take these orally. Hey, no, 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 that's all right. Uh, look, I don't like pills. Dr. D'Amato, it's important that you take these pills. So would you please get back in bed, and I'll go get Dr. Brecker to take a look all at right, you. All right, all right, all right. Look, I'll stay put. Hmm. I looked at the pills. They burned in my palm. Was I being paranoid? Maybe there were poison. Maybe something I had a lethal allergy to, like Lauren did. I dressed quickly. At least my wallet was still inside my jacket pocket. Well, there were still lots of honesty in this town. The corridor of the hospital was clear. Well, goddammit, I could leave if I wanted. I was a patient, not a prisoner. At least, insofar as the hospital was concerned. But as for the larger realm of being, oh, I couldn't say anymore. The most important new fact I had 
was that I was still alive. That meant that my assessment of, of the universe and its vindictiveness was maybe missing something. Good morning, New York Sun Tribune. Uh, yeah, Jack Donovan, please, this is Phil D'Amato. Just a second, please. Oh, come on, hurry up. Hello, can I help you? Uh, yeah, this is Dr. Phil D'Amato of the NYPD Forensics Department calling Jack Donovan. Uh... D'Amato! D'Amato, thank God! This is Abramson. Are you still in the hospital? Uh, no, no, Sam, I, I was uh, released. Is Jack there? Phil, Jack was killed this morning along with the professor, David Strauss. <laughs> Strauss supported your story, and Jack had me waiting on an article about it. He picked Strauss up at his summer cottage in Sag Harbor. Strauss had been hiding out there, and they got blown off a small bridge by an unexpected storm. It was a freak accident. Yeah, there was no freaking accident, Sam, and you know it. There's something else going on. You know that as well as I do. I don't know what I know, but I do know that at this point the story's on hold. It looks like some physicists were killed, and a reporter, all seemingly by accident. Unless you have something more to tell me. Phil, do you? No. No, I don't. Look, uh, do you have Jack's notes? No. And there's nothing on his hard drive. Like it was wiped clean. Listen, D'Amato, just take care of yourself. Yeah, right. Another particle, another person dead. But this one was completely my fault. I brought Jack into this. Research, how may I direct Yeah, this is Dr. Phil D'Amato from the NYPD Forensics Department, and I'm trying to reach a Dr. Richard Hayes, and this is the fifth time I've called about a very serious and possibly criminal investigation concerning his former research group involving multiple deaths that could be homicides. Now, if you know that he's there and you won't get him for me, technically that's interfering with police Please procedures, hold. and I can hold you... Hello. Have I mentioned, this is Detective Phil D'Amato, and I need to talk to Dr. Richard Hayes immediately. This is Richard Hayes, and I don't care if you're the head of the bleeding FBI. Now, you listen. I'm going to talk to you about this just once, now, and then never again. Yeah, well, uh, all right, so why don't you tell me what you think is happening here? What's happening is this. I was working on a project with my colleagues, but I came to realize the project was a dead end. The phenomena we were investigating weren't real. So I ceased my involvement in that research. I have no intention of ever picking up that research again, of ever publishing about it, or even talking about it, except to indicate that it was a waste of time. I'd strongly advise you to do the same. Why do I feel like you're reading from a script, Dr. Hayes? I can assure you everything I am saying is real, as you no doubt have already gathered yourself, hey, Dr. You DeMotto. look, Dr. Hayes, you cannot just sweep this under the rug. I mean, if the universe is at work here in some way, do you really think that you could just avoid it by pretending that you don't know about it? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure the universe can smell bad acting, and oh, you're doing a hell of a performance. Word's gonna get out anyway. Someone will post it, publish it. No one's going to publish anything because nothing happened. Dr. Hayes, if you want to live, if you I'm really want to live through this, you've got to find out what's really happening. I'm mistaken, and I'm afraid that concludes our interview now and forever. Dr. Hayes, there are other ways to see this. I couldn't fight this all on my own much longer. I needed to contact the only other source I knew of, Julie Fenwick, the researcher who had gone to Australia. Maybe it was too late for all I knew. I sat down at my computer and logged onto the Columbia main page. If she was keeping an eye on this from anywhere, maybe I could post what I knew on a message board and she'd contact me. Attention, Dr. Julie Fenwick. Re the quantum signal. Jesus. Jesus, the left side of my body got a shooting pain from my chest up through my shoulder and down my arm. Publishing? 
Publishing was the key. That's what triggered the universe's backlash. I quickly kicked my computer's plug out of the wall socket. The screen went to black, as did everything else. Yeah, uh, hello? Dr. D'Amato? Lauren? No, this is Julie Fenwick. You posted my name on the Columbia message board. Okay, well, you got my attention. Uh, yeah, well, um... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I was, just, I was just sleeping when you called, but, um... I wanted to talk to you about your ideas regarding... Well, I'm wide open for ideas, considering I'm the only person alive from our research group. Well, I, I think we ought to... Wait, wait no, I, I'm sorry, did you say the only person left from the group? It seems you know all about our project, Dr. D'Amato. Well... Richard Hayes committed suicide last night. He left a note saying that he couldn't surmount the paradox of deliberately not thinking of something. Last night? It's morning? Yes. I've been trying you for hours. Check your answering machine. Uh, where, where are you now? I'm here in New York, West 85th. I wanted to come home. I didn't want to die in Australia. Look, um, you're still alive. There must be some reason we're both still alive. Why don't we meet for coffee in about an hour? All right. Meet me at Cafe Sambuca on 72nd Street. I'll be wearing a, a Yankees cap. Well, you'll recognize me as a guy who hasn't shaved in two days. She was waiting for me when I arrived. I didn't need the Yankees cap. I picked her out of the small crowd right away. On the way down, I'd fantasize that she'd look just like Lauren. But in fact, she looked a little older and wiser, and even more frightened. Dr. D'Amato? It's Phil. Okay, Phil. I'm surprised we both made it here in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> no falling safes or pianos. All right, uh, here's what I have in mind. Now, you tell me as a physicist what you think of this analysis. Uh, first, everyone who's attempted to publish something about your work has died. I spoke to Lauren Goldring the afternoon she died. She told me she was going to the press well, That's and... it, that's it. You see, just about every time that I was thinking about publishing this, I nearly died. The first time in a car... The second with a pre-heart attack? Now, it is not the knowledge. Hello, I'm Deborah, and oh. I'll be your waitress. Hi. Okay, we have some specials, so would you like to hear them now, or should I come uh, back No, that's later? okay. Um, how about uh, two coffees? Are you kidding? I'm not having anything. Julie, you gotta have something. Okay, coffee. Huh. Fine, two coffees. Now, we're both still alive. So maybe we're allowed private knowledge, crackpot knowledge. Like flying saucers or alien abductions? Yeah. Because then we wouldn't be taken seriously. It's the intention to publish the detailed truth about what you've discovered. That's what kills you. I mean, for all we know, this may have been discovered before, but the universe took care to make sure that word didn't get out. Nowadays, all you'd have to do is post your findings on the internet and it would be all across the world in seconds. Without much cleaning up to do, uh, who knows how vicious the universe might get. Cosmic censorship. Wheeler wrote about it. Exactly. Cosmic censorship. Phil, you have to understand, eventually I'd need to tell someone about this. Maybe not now, but as a scientist, if I kept this inside me, I'd end up like Richard. Well, we can't will ourselves to forget this, but... Uh, Julie, how can I put this? Uh, okay, you see, sometimes in forensics, um, if you have a body that was killed in some specific way, but we don't want the murderer to know that we know this, sometimes, and this is in the strictest confidence, I'm telling you this, Sometimes we deliberately lie. Uh, for example, say some guy gets hit on the head with a rock. We might say that he slipped and okay. hit his head. Okay, how does that apply to our situation? Well, your group thinks, thought. It figured out how to send signals through time. We did! 
We created wormholes for particle communication using exotic matter. Yeah, well, well, couldn't you find another phenomenon to attribute the effects to? Maybe to something completely different from anything that dealt with time travel. I mean, geez, why do people believe in time travel anyway? Because of H.G. Wells. Uh, because of science fiction. Hollywood. So, come up with some bogus theory that has nothing to do with time travel. Only the project principals. The seven of us knew this was about time travel. No one else had any idea. Except now there is you. Then without the time travel label, all you've got is another little experiment. There are hundreds in this area per year, and your study should just get lost in the crowd. You could send scientists off in a different direction. I guess I could make a case that what we discovered only mimics time travel. No, 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 no. That's not going far enough. You can't just say that it didn't invoke time travel. That's like someone the police never heard of coming into the station to say that they didn't kill someone. It'll only arouse suspicion. You've got to come up with a completely different theory. You're asking me to basically lie about what I know. <laughs> Believe me, I understand your conflict. Eight years of work. I'm supposed to pursue the truth wherever it takes me. And how much truth are you going to pursue when you're like Hayes and Strauss and the others? Like Lauren. There's no one left to contradict you. Oh, couldn't I just swear before you and the universe and God that I'll never publish anything about this? No. Publish an article now that explicitly attributes the effects to something other than time travel. It's safer for you. If, years from now, you change your mind and you decide to publish a paper that says you actually succeeded with time travel, well, hey, you'd already be on record saying that the effects were something else. You'd look like a crackpot. Oh, good. That's very comforting. You really think no one else will ever look into this? Yes, if you're daring in your deception. I would end up sounding like just one more mad scientist. The history of science is filled with wrong, glittering paths. And that's the path you have to purposely take. The path of life. It's what the universe wants. And once you do that, the world could take years, decades longer to look at time travel as a, a real scientific possibility again. You know, Julie, the truth is, we've all been getting along pretty well without time travel Don't anyway. Don't you understand? My life, my work has been Julie, about... Julie, Julie, Julie. Einstein said that if he had known that his discoveries about mass and energy would have been used to build an atomic bomb, he would have become a watchmaker. Time travel could wreak more havoc than nuclear weapons ever could. Julie, you've got a chance to do what Einstein didn't. Protect the future from a terrible cosmic secret. It's all up to you. I'm not a physicist. I can't pull this off alone. Here's your coffee. Hey, did you say something about Einstein? You know, I did a paper on him. Hey, oh! oh sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Did that coffee scald you? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, it's okay. Let me get some ice. Oh, that must hurt. I am so sorry. Please don't tell my manager. I'll get you another coffee. Oh my god, we can't even order a cup of coffee. No, I'm all right. I think that was only a warning. Julie, we're running out of time here. You have a decision to make. Now. It seems I don't have much choice. You'll do it? Yes. I'll write an article with a bogus explanation of our research and no mention of time travel. It's like you said, neither of us can pull this off alone. We have to work together. And if we start to go crazy, I mean actually insane, trying not to think about it like Hayes did. Well then, we always have each other to talk to. Well, it looks like we're stuck with each other. <laughs> ah, you get used to me. Well, Phil D'Amato. If we're going to be forced down some path together, let's do this of our own free will. How about we go for a walk? I like walks. <laughs> hey, but let's make a deal. No talk about time travel and quantum physics, okay? Only other things. Like, uh, where I'm gonna buy a bandage for my hand. 
or what I'm going to do now for a career. Maybe you could make watches. We got up to pay the check for one coffee with a substantial tip for Deborah. It occurred to me, as I took Julie's hand and squeezed it with relief, that maybe this is just what the universe had wanted all along. Traffic on Broadway was flowing both ways as we stood on the island in the middle of the avenue, waiting for the light to change. You've been listening to the audio premiere of the Chronology Protection Case, based on a story by Paul Levinson, radio adaptation by Mark Shanahan with Paul Levinson and Jay Kensinger, recorded live in the Museum of Television and Radio's Mark's Goodson Theater as part of the museum's 6th Annual Radio Festival, directed by Elisa Martin. Please hold your applause until the end of the credits. The Chronology Protection Case features the following actors, Mark Shanahan as Phil D'Amato, Ted Daisy as Jack Donovan and Richard Hayes, Gina Daniels as Julie Fenwick, Maisie, and Janie Murphy, Jeff Peters as Ed Monty, Sam Abramson, Officer, and Nurse Johnson, Deborah Thomas as Lauren Goldring and Deborah, and Joel Farrell did this live sound effects. Music by Bob Feldman. Sound design by audio engineer Chip Cristarella. Amanda Montalbano assisted. Special thanks to the Museum of Television and Radio for their generous support of Stage Shadows, in particular to Ken Beck and Ken Mueller. Please visit the Stage Shadow website at stageshadows.com. Producers of Stage Shadows, radio like you've never seen it, are Terry Ashcroft and Esme. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Joel Farrell, wishing you a very good night. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And I want to remind you that you can find in the show notes to this episode links to the novelette upon which the radio play that you just heard is based, a link to Jay Kensinger's complete short 38-minute movie of the chronology protection case. All of that is on Light on Light Through. That's L-I-G-H-T-O-N, L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. And you'll also find on that page all kinds of coupons with special codes that you can use to save money. On Angie's List, eHarmony, Buy Costumes, Zazzle, Avis Car Rental, all kinds of goodies for you on Light On, Light Through. So again, I hope you enjoyed the radio play, and I'll see you next time. In the meantime, I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy.